Psalm 121, a song of ascents, it probably says in your Bible, we'll put it up on the screen here, ask this question. I lift my eyes up to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. What we talked about last week was the reality that this world is filled with trouble and deception. The hard truth that we confront this morning, as this psalmist has, is that the moment you begin that pilgrimage and say, I desire to follow God because I see that he has truth, that he is ultimately good, that he is ultimately great, and so I desire to follow him and I seek to begin this journey, this pilgrimage of the Christian life. That the moment that you begin doing that, for many of you who maybe made that choice many years ago, maybe some of you have made that choice very recently, maybe you're considering that choice and not really sure if it's worth it or if it's the right idea, the right thing to do. What one realizes very quickly after they begin following Jesus after they begin the Christian journey, is that unfortunately, the problems don't seem to go away. At least not entirely. Now for many, that is a really disorienting thing. That's a really disheartening thing. That can be a really discouraging thing. You go, well, wait a second. I thought if you follow Jesus, the problems go away. I thought, now God's happy with me, so he's going to keep all this bad stuff from happening. Isn't that why the bad stuff might have been happening before? I thought that once I started living the right way or doing the right thing or saying the right things or being around better people, then the problems would fade away. Because can't God control everything? Can't he do anything? Now that I'm his child, um, won't he protect me from the evils of this world? Well, uh, this pilgrim, this sojourner, who is headed to the Holy Land to see the Holy Kingdom with their whole family on a journey that's going to probably take weeks, is, begins by asking this question that we have all asked. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? That this person finds themselves asking this question. Where is my help going to come from, because I still need it. This is one of the most frustrating things for many of us, that the Christian life is not free from pain or attack or heartache, that we still lose jobs, we still get sick, we still struggle in our marriages, we still can't have kids, we still feel alienated from our families. We still feel like we look at the world around us or even the world inside the church and we're discouraged sometimes and disheartened by what we see. It seems like the same dangers are present for me, the follower of Jesus, that would be present for anybody who's not following Jesus. And I find myself asking this question often, where 
is my help going to come from? Now the psalmist looks to the hills as they ask this question. And they say in response, my help will come from the Lord. There's a reason why someone would look to the hills in asking this question. You know, one of the things that I love is um, Peter's letter um, to the church in 1 Peter. And in this letter, he talks about trials and he talks about suffering and he talks about pain. And he says this statement that I have read so many times and I think is so like accurate and means so much for us. He asks this question to the church. He says, beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you. Sorry, it's not a question. It's a statement. Do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. I think it's important that Peter says this because for many of us, when the trials continue to come, we initially start to feel as though something strange or foreign is happening. And Peter says, if there's one thing I can tell you about trials and suffering, it is this. Do not be surprised when they come. You should actually expect them to come. That the Christian life is not one in which you're protected from this thing. You will find yourself looking to the hills asking, where does my help come from? Just as much as the person next to you will. Really? It seems that way. Why look there? Why lift my eyes to the hills and ask where my help comes from? We do that. Because at the time, in Palestine, the place was, the area was just overrun with other gods and other deities. And for the most part, the worship of these gods, the worship of these idols happened on the hilltops, on the mountaintops. So whenever someone's life got bad, they went and found the nearest deity. They went and found the nearest temple. They went and found an idol. And they did whatever they could to try to deal with what was going on in their life. You went up to the hillside, you went up to the hilltop, you climbed the mountain, and, and that way uh, you could engage in like a whole host of different things that were offered to people who had problems in their life. You could, you could if, if your issue was the, the scorching sun uh, that was beating down upon you, then you could pray to the God of the sun. If your issue was, there's not enough sun and I need more of it for my crops to grow or for my life to go well, there's not enough rain and not enough water and we need more of it. I know that's hard for us to imagine, but that was actually an issue back then. These people lived in the desert. They actually needed water. You go to an idol, you go to a god, you go to a temple. There were groves of trees that had been planted that were beautiful, that were a wonderful place for people to come to and find shade out of the sun. Um, and these trees were planted um, to worship gods, to give people a place to gather together. There were prostitutes that were brought into temples, male and female, to both uh, participate in worship and offer people help and services and pleasure and comfort as uh, they were struggling and coming to these places. There were all kinds of ways that you could spend your money, ways that you could be around other people, ways that you could offer some kind of a sacrifice, ways that you could join in on some kind of a ceremony, ways that you could seek counsel from a priest or from someone who might tell your future. There was all sorts of ways that you could address the issues and the problems that were in your life then by simply going to the mountaintop and finding the God of your choice. 
this is what we do. When we find ourselves struggling, when the pain comes and the, and, and, and the suffering comes, we look up and we say, where is my help going to come from? How am I going to get through this thing? The people at this time had so many different ways, and most of them involved gods of different kinds. I'm not sure how different it is now, even if uh, we may not bow down to a physical idol. I think we still ask one of two questions when we're dealing with suffering in our lives. The first question is, how can I control this thing that's going on? And the second question is, how can I get through this? How can I find comfort in this thing that's going on? We are desperate for control or we are desperate to cope. And these are the two things that we go to again and again when life gets hard. And we will go to all kinds of, of ways of trying to either control our circumstances, to maybe prevent what's happening from happening again, or to have some way of feeling like we're in charge of our lives while we're in the midst of it now, or we will be desperate to look and find some way to just escape what is going on and the suffering and the pain that is happening. Money is one of the biggest ways that we try to gain control over our lives and the world around us. If I just had enough money, then uh, I could control what goes on. I could be prepared for what goes on. I won't need to depend on anything else, and I won't be caught off guard the next time. We sometimes think, if I can actually take care of myself more, if I, can, if I can be healthier, if I can look better, if I can organize my life more, uh, if I can somehow uh, get online and start to uh, somehow maybe control how this world is going, uh, start talking about my opinions and my ideas, seek out other people's opinions and ideas, somehow maybe try to feel like I have a hand in what's going on, like I can take some kind of control from what's happening in this crazy world and these things that I'm dealing with that I feel out of control of. A while ago when we had this ice storm that hit, my cul-de-sac ended up nine days without power. Just this one street, nine days without power. And, uh, and, and, and man, we were jealous of the people, like, like living behind us that had power. You know, we had extension cords running and everything. And everybody dealt with it a different way. But I remember talking to one of my neighbors whose husband was saying that uh, after like day six, at like 2 a.m. with a headlamp on, his wife started tearing paneling out of their living room. And it was because she just had to do something to feel like she was having control over what was going on in her life. She started renovating her living room in the middle of an ice storm in the dark and I immediately said, I know exactly how she feels. I, I think I just tried to build increasingly more elaborate candle holders, was what I did. It almost burned our house down completely. Like just smothered us in hot wax. But we will do anything we can do when the difficulty comes if it gives us the ability to feel like we have some control over what's going on around us feels like we're giving up. It feels like we're failing to just say, I'm not going to do anything to take control over this thing. 
Many of us do whatever we can to feel like we're in control of what's going on. Many of us do whatever we can to just cope with and get through what's going on. Try to ride this thing out until we can come out on the other side and keep going with life. And when we say cope, we tend to think of things like, like substance abuse and, and people who drink too much and do drugs, people who are addicted to things like pornography, people who, uh, who spend uh, just all their time doing things that are unhealthy habits for them. But I have known some incredibly successful and proactive and disciplined people who still, when things get hard, will say, I just have to come up with a way to just... To just put my head down and get through this thing and come out on the other side of it and still be alive and kicking because it's like a compartmentalized way of living our lives so that we can just get on from it, get away from it, and get back to our normal lives. There are as many ways of dealing with pain as there are people on this earth. And there are as many different ways um, to, uh, to just be comfortable to just try to shut our brains off and try to get through what's going on. One of the hardest things, um, as I've talked with people who have struggled with things like alcoholism, on getting through that, is that there becomes this point in recovery where they realize they just have to start dealing with everything. Because uh, what alcohol gave them was the ability to not really have to deal with the things that were going on in their lives. And it was like, I just can't. I can't deal with this thing. I can't handle this thing. It's too hard. It's too difficult. And I have responsibilities. And I've got to keep things moving forward. So I just, I'm just going to sit down and watch Netflix for five days. And then when, when I get through that, we'll just pretend like none of this ever happened. This is what people were seeking to do when the author of this psalm wrote these words. Whenever bad things happen, you went to the hilltops and the mountaintops, you found the idol, the temple, the, the area, the people of your choice, and you got through it that way. And I don't think it's all that much different now. And we are asking the exact same question every time we encounter pain and suffering in our lives because it comes with the territory. The question we ask is, where will my help come from? How am I going to get through this thing that I'm dealing with? The psalmist's response is, my help comes from the Lord who made heavens and earth. There is something fundamental and important, absolutely vital for a believer, for a follower of Jesus, about the ability to be able to say that when I need help, I look to the Lord and I don't look to everything else. Sometimes I honestly think I get more help from my phone than I do looking to the Lord. And I don't mean that my phone actually helps me. I mean, it's easier for me to pull my phone out and be like, I'm sure this thing's going to solve my problems. It kind of does both when you think about it. It helps you cope, you know, because, you know, it's like, you know, it's, you're comfortable with it. You're used to it. It's like it's all my habits is just scrolling through this thing all the time. But then it also is where I try to find all my answers to everything, right? Like uh, the things that we will Google, right? I'm sure we're all so embarrassed about a few of the things that we've tried to tackle in life by literally just Googling it, right? 
I've shown some of them up here before, especially ones that have to do with the people that you're living with. And then I went into this whole thing uh, here in the office where like, we would just come up with things like, 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 why does my pastor, and then you would watch the autocomplete, and it would say like the greatest things ever that were the top results for why does my pastor. And they were basically two extremes. One was ignore me, and then the other one was uh, basically the opposite of ignoring me, constantly uh, telling me what to do or, uh, or too involved in my life, right? We have Googled some of the most ridiculous stuff because honestly, we get our phone out and we're like, I think this thing is where I will look to. You know, I don't have to look to the mountaintops. I don't have to look anywhere else. I can, I can cope and I can take control with whatever I can figure out on here. And when I think about how easy it is for me to do that rather than to actually think that being a pilgrim, a sojourner on this journey of mine means first and foremost that when the difficulty comes, I'm going to look to the Lord rather than look to all these other things. That seems just nuts most of the time. The psalmist in this psalm is pretty crystal clear in that they will look to the Lord and they talk about why. They say, uh, they say this about him. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. You see, what the psalmist is doing is they're talking about how the moment you begin a long journey... Uh, you are immediately aware, now that you've left your home, you've left where you're comfortable and where you're familiar, you're immediately aware and confronted by all of the dangers that are out there in life. I'm not safe anymore. I'm in a place where I'm more vulnerable. Uh, the biggest issues for a person on a journey like this were the sun and the elements. Like, literally, if I don't have shelter, be at a certain point, like, I'm going to die if I'm out here in the wilderness for too long. They dealt with, uh, it says that he will not let you stumble or you like basically trip over rocks. Yeah, if you got injured, if you hurt yourself, if some tragedy befell you while you were walking along on this journey, then you were in a very bad spot. You weren't at home and you weren't in the Holy Land. You were stuck. You were stuck with an injury. You were stuck with a problem. Something was broken. And what are you going to do? And the other issue was people. People came and made your life hard. You didn't know what weirdos you were going to encounter on the roads of the Holy Land. You didn't know what people and with terrible intentions you were going to encounter on the road of the Holy Land. But you guarantee, you can know for sure, that if there was a history of people traveling to this place year after year after year, that some dishonest people would have figured this out at some point, and they would have made quite a good living by taking advantage of all of those people. You probably can't trust what anyone says to you along the way, even if they're friendly, or maybe if... Uh, they take the direct approach. They just sneak out from behind a tree and rob you, throw rocks at you. There were so many things that would befall a person on this journey, and all of these things uh, apply because these are all the very things that we worry about anyway. We can't control what's going on with the nature and the world around us. We cannot control the mishaps that will happen, that will affect our health, that will take us out. And, and we feel like we're constantly having to take into account these evil intentions of people that are around us constantly. And, and the psalmist says that 
the reason that they look to God, the reason that when I look to the hills that I take confidence in him and not these other things, is he says, he won't let my foot be moved. He says that he who keeps you will not slumber. The way that you were protected from other people was someone always had to stay watch. Someone always had to stay awake. Someone always had to keep on guard. This word that is used in this psalm again and again and again for keeping you is the word for guarding someone. The keeper is the person who stands guard, who protects and makes sure that nothing bad will happen. They say, I look to the hills and I look to God as the one who will save me. Why? Because he is the only one who will not let me down. He is the only one who will actually protect me and will ensure that I get where I need to go. But here's the problem. If that's true, if God is that great and if he does those great things, then why on earth does it not seem that way so much of the time? The psalmist is telling us with great confidence that they will look to the Lord because he will do all of these great things. It's essentially you're indestructible. You're indestructible if you've got God to look to guarding you and keeping you. There's only one problem with that. If God is protecting me from stumbling, then why am I stumbling all the time? If God is protecting me from the scorching heat, the pain of the natural things in life, then why does the tornado hit the Christian when the tornado hits the non-Christian? Why does the famine and the plague hit the Christian when the famine and the plague hits the non-Christian? Why does the diagnosis with the potential to death, for death, occur in the life of the Christian as it does in the life of the non-Christian? If God is protecting me from enemies who seek to rob and take advantage of me out here as I sojourn in the wilderness, then why do Christians get hurt? Why do Christians get taken advantage of? Why do Christians have so many enemies still? I was thinking about this, and I'm like, well, maybe, you know, maybe, because I just had to go there. I go, maybe uh, the psalmist who wrote this, maybe they've just lived an extremely comfortable life, you know? They're like one of those people that you know who's always telling you that God's got everything covered, and you're like, yeah, you've literally never been through anything hard, so stop going around saying that to everybody because it isn't that comforting when it comes from you, you know? The psalmist is going, uh, you know, guys, God's going to be good. He's going to take care of you. And they're riding in like a chariot and they've got guards all around them and they've got like a red carpet literally from their house to the Holy Land. And they're like, God's got you covered. He's got you good, right? Is that what's happening? Like the, the boldness and the confidence with which these things are said in the Bible of those who are in God. It's like, uh, but, but maybe this person just experienced, maybe it was one of those cases where like, it was really like David or somebody and he's in battle and then he's saying, look, God, God defeated my enemies. So look, now God will defeat all of everyone's enemies. And you're like, yeah, God defeated his enemies in that situation. But what about this guy over here? You can understand why it's such a messy process for me trying to write a sermon sometimes. <laughs> These things are bothering me. They're driving me crazy. I'm going, why with such confidence can he say this when in reality it feels to us like all the same things just keep on happening? 
Well, the problem with that idea, the problem with the idea that maybe this person was just insulated, maybe they just don't know how hard it is, is that if you read the Bible and you begin to learn anything about the people who wrote these things, you find that these are people um, who have lived lives that are so much harder than all of our lives that they make all of our problems look like first world problems all of the time. These are people who went through really crazy stuff all the time and then were killed probably for their faith. And it is those people who give us these words of tremendous encouragement. These people are the ones telling us constantly about the love and the mercy and the graciousness and the protection and the provision of God. These are the people saying to us, I am hard pressed, but I'm not crushed. God works all things for the good of those who love him. God is for us. So who can be against us are words that were spoken and written by people living much harder lives than the ones we're living today. So is it just like mass psychosis? Is it just a delusion? Are these people so overly confident in something while it's actually destroying their lives and they don't realize that God isn't really there caring for them and protecting? How is God my protector? How can I look to him instead of all these other things when it doesn't feel like I'm being protected? How is God my protector when my circumstances don't feel any different? Why look to the hills when I could look, just look down and I could just fight? The answer is simple. The answer is this. Is that when the psalmist says the Lord will keep you from all evil, that he will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out, your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. The psalmist is trying to say in the clearest way possible, in all circumstances, no matter what happens, no matter what befalls you, God has got you. And we say, how is that true in the midst of what I'm dealing with right now? How is it true? Are we just going to say that and trust that the people who aren't going through really hard things will be like, yeah, that makes sense. And then the people who are will say, sorry, that doesn't work for me. And what the psalmist is saying, what they are guaranteeing in this psalm, and the reason they're singing it on their way to the Holy Land is this. Because the assurance of God is this, I will guard you, I will protect you, and I will get you where you are going. Psalm 121 is not a guarantee that there will not be trouble in life. It is a promise, it is an absolute promise that our God will get us where we are going. The sojourner is going to make it to the Holy Land. They are going to make it to the people of God. And that is the encouragement from the psalmist. And that is the encouragement that we have as we look at this. As people on this very same journey as Christians trying to follow Jesus, living not in a world that is our own, but in a world that is not our own. The encouragement that we take from this is huge because the encouragement is this. No matter what happens, no matter how much what happens makes you feel like maybe God doesn't really care anymore, the truth is he is bringing you to the place that he said he would bring you. You will get there. You are living not for what is this right now, what's happening right now. You are living for something else that is coming.
the person on this journey was looking forward to the Holy Day festivals. They were looking forward to coming to church with their friends like this. They were looking forward to celebrating and worshiping because that was like the highest point of their whole year. That was when they experienced the best things ever. For us, when we look at this, what it is telling us and is reminding us, and these same authors in the Bible tell us again and again and again is this, that God is bringing you to his kingdom one day. You're on a journey there right now. And that his commitment to you is that he will guard and protect and keep you and you will show up there. I think this is a hard thing for us if we find ourselves on this journey as the heat comes and we stumble and we are taken advantage of and we're beat up and things are hard and life just doesn't seem to be going the way that we would hoped it would go once God became a part of it. And our tendency when that happens is to lose sight of where we're going and lose sight of what we're doing and lose sight of the end result of the journey because at any point you can just kind of stop and be like, I don't want to deal with this anymore. I want to go back home. I don't want to deal with this anymore. I'm going to just try to stop where I am and I'm going to try to make things as good as I can here and now, which I think is the bigger temptation for most of us. My daughter and I um, lately have gotten into watching these videos on YouTube and um, they just kind of like, you know how there's like always that new thing that's just super cathartic to watch even though it makes no sense, you know? Like I've watched people on lumber mills saw logs. I just like, I love it. I'll watch it all day. Helps me calm down. I don't know. I don't know what it's doing, but it works, right? Um, and my kids know that if they can't sleep at night and they come downstairs, they're literally going to watch the most boring thing they've ever seen. They're going to watch someone sawing logs or something. That's all they're going to get, and it's going to put them right to sleep. My daughter and I started watching these videos of these guys. I think they're in Cambodia. I'm sure you've seen some of these things. But these guys, they dig these, like, holes, and they make these crazy, elaborate-looking, like, tropical oasis things just out of the dirt, and then they, they do it all by hand. They dig it up with these sticks. This is what these things look like. And you may have seen some of these videos, but, like, it's, it's fascinating. It's like a 30-minute video of a guy just, like, starting with a flat piece of ground and, like, digging all the way down and then, like, getting some grass and then getting some water. And, you know, like, who, who really knows? Because, again, I don't trust anything living in this world I live in. I've been, I've been hurt recently by car dealers, and so I'm, like, very skeptical of anything that I see. I'm like, there's probably a huge camera crew and, a, and, a, and an excavator behind the camera, and then they turn it off and they go and do this. I don't know. But we watch these things, and we're just like, this is so incredible, right? The idea that, like, in the middle of, of the wilderness, that somebody can just dig and dig and dig, and they can work and work and work, and they can, like, bring in water bucket by bucket, and they can put some grass out, light some little candles, and they can make it this absolute oasis, this perfect spot right out there in the middle of nowhere. Who wouldn't want to just live there, Right? And we see, we're watching these things and we're looking at them and there's this kind of like fantasy that it brings up in our mind of like how cool would it be to be in a place like that. And I think so often when, um, when we read in scripture about people that are on a journey who are sojourners, the problem, I said this last week, I said the problem is not that the people of God just want to escape and go to heaven all the time and we don't care about this world. It turns out that the problem most of the time is that we want to stop right where we are 
and we want to get as comfortable as we can, and we want to build the best possible situ- thing that we can for the situation that we're in right now, and then we just want things to go well right there. And when the robbers come and the storm comes and, and we stumble upon the rock and we hurt ourselves, we cry out to God, not because we're not getting where we want to go, but we're frustrated because we stopped moving, we stopped going, we stopped focusing. You see, the truth that the Bible tells us again and again and again is that if our eyes are not fixed upon the hope that we have, that we're moving towards and that we're working towards, then we will get overwhelmed by these things that happen to us. We will get discouraged because trial and suffering have the ability to rob us of so many things that we care about. And the more invested that we are in, only in what we're doing, without the ability to focus on where God's leading us and where we're headed, this eternal hope that we have, we will continue to feel beat down by these things. We will continue to do nothing more than try to find ways to control what's going on around us and cope with what's going on around us. And God will say to us, look and keep your eyes fixed upon me because I promise that I will guard and keep you and I will bring you to this holy land and I will bring you to a place with me and you will know that that is what is going to happen and it will far eclipse anything that you've even experienced here in this life or in this world so far. But instead, because that means that we keep going, That means that we keep our eyes fixed on what we're going towards. We stop and we go, that's too hard. I just kind of want to stop and I want to dig a hole. And, you know, I could kind of make that hole pretty nice. And I could fill it up with some water. And, you know, I guarantee you that thing does not look nice two weeks later, right? There's There's no chlorine pump in there. No. And I'll tell you what people do when there's no chlorine in water after the service because I've experienced it in my life many times. I love this passage. I I read from 1 Peter before. That when we talk about what it is that we're moving towards, what it is that we're walking towards, these people, these incredible people of faith in the Bible who are writing us these words, who are encouraging the church, who are pleading with the church to look to God and not these other things. The reason that they can do this, the reason that they can speak with such hope and such joy is because they have their eyes fixed upon the end goal. And that with our eyes fixed upon the hope that we have in heaven, our ability to keep moving through what this life throws at us is so greatly increased. Peter says this to the church. He says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance that is imperishable, that is undefiled, and unfading. Kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Peter tells the church that the inheritance that they have to look forward to in heaven, that it is so good, that it is so worthwhile because it is an inheritance that is imperishable, 
meaning it will not perish, it will not go away. It is undefiled. We live in a world where everything seems polluted in some way and touched by sin in some way, and this inheritance is not. And it is unfading, which means it will never grow old. It will never get old to us. We will never grow tired of it, want to move on from it, need an upgrade from it, because that is how good the inheritance that God has for us is. One of the first and most crucial steps in following God is knowing the final verses of this psalm. Is knowing that the Lord will keep you from all evil, that he will keep your life. That the Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. If we can trust this and if we can believe this and if we can live our lives in the knowledge that God is truly guarding us and ensuring us that we will get where we started to go, we will get where we are going. That is his promise to us here. That if we can fix our eyes on that, then there is no set of circumstances, there is no pain or trial that can ultimately defeat us And we will now be able to walk through these things with hope where so many cannot. We will begin to let go of our desperate need to control everything that's going on around us. Even when, if we're honest, we have no way of controlling some of these things that are going on around us. We'll try. We'll try. And it also gives us the ability to say, I don't have to shut down right now. I don't have to withdraw right now. I don't have to numb myself with something. I don't have to distract myself with something. I don't have to just try to fast forward through this time in my life and hope I can come out on the other side and keep living and keep digging the hole that I'm trying to dig right now. That if our eyes are fixed on the eternal hope that we have in heaven, and if we can trust, and if we trust that God is indeed guarding us and keeping us and ensuring that for us and protecting our way to the Holy Land, then we can live radically differently from everyone around us. It also kind of makes sense why everything is so crazy around us all the time. Because, sadly, we live in a world where most people do not have this hope. Where most people do not have this to find their hope in and as a result are desperate to either control or to cope with everything that is going on around them. And if there is anything that we can do to make this world a better place, to change the things that we're dealing with right now. First and foremost, it is to give that hope to other people, to give them the ability to be living for that thing and having their eyes and their gaze fixed on that thing. Scripture describes that as going from being blind to having sight. And I always think about it this way. How frustrating is it to live in a world full of blind people? How badly do we want for those that we share this world with to have sight, to be able to see as we can see the good news about God? Let's pray and take communion. Father.